0: The downside with Amazon, of course, is that you end up giving up a lot in terms of strategic value creation. They own your data, and more importantly, they own your customer relationships.
1: Welcome to the B2B Lead Gen Podcast, your weekly audio masterclass on converting leads to revenue. I'm your host, Eric Schwarzman, author of The Digital Pivot. Let's do this. My guest today is Eric Best. He's a serial entrepreneur, CEO, executive leader, and a 20-year commerce vet who's worked at Amazon and Liberty Interactive. He was the CSO at Commerce Hub through its IPO, CEO and founder of Mersent and co-founder of several companies. Uh, he's a husband, dad, swimmer, urban gardener, and aspiring DJ. Uh, and I am pleased to have him with us on this podcast today. Welcome.
0: Thanks, Eric. Great to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to this because um, you know, I want to get into uh, you know, why some companies outperform others online, particularly in the B2B space. Um, you know, How you approach e-commerce for clients, e-commerce marketing, and uh, and how Google's plans to eliminate cookies uh, will change digital marketing. Uh, so stay with us. Hey, we're here with Eric Best. He's a serial entrepreneur, and um, I'm happy to have him with us. He was a CSO at Commerce Hub through its IPO, and uh, he uh, helps clients with B2B digital marketing um, at Sound Commerce now. And I, just to sort of start it off, talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing in the small business world. How are small businesses adapting to the direct consumer e commerce environment?
0: Yeah, happy to do that, Eric. So we kind of think about the market, especially for SMBs, for small businesses that are engaging in commerce, almost as like a bifurcated two halves of the whole. On the one side, you've got Amazon that controls 50% of the addressable market in North America. And on the other side of the market is Shopify, representing this concept of owned commerce, where rather than selling through the Amazon marketplace, of course, you're serving customers directly through your own set of tools, through your own infrastructure. On On the Amazon side, getting started can be very easy. You know, you effectively list products, you ship those to an Amazon warehouse, and they take on a lot of the heavy lifting of uh, small business e-commerce operations. The downside with Amazon, of course, is that you end up giving up a lot in terms of strategic value creation. They own your data, and more importantly, they own your customer relationships. When we focus on the owned commerce half, the one that's represented by tools like Shopify and Google Analytics... Which we'll probably talk about more uh, as we get into the details of how the digital marketing landscape is changing. Um, you know, there is this emerging set of tools providers um, that are making it easier and easier for small businesses to engage in e-commerce in a meaningful way. You could sort of say that like e-commerce is becoming democratized, right? It's becoming consumerized. Um, and easier for any business to get involved with today by virtue of these tools. The big challenge from our perspective, well, there's really two. You know, marketing is one. How do I cost-effectively acquire and re-engage customers over time as the cost of advertising on channels like Facebook and Google goes up every day, day after day? But the other side of this is also the operational complexity. Like, I need to partner with a warehouse provider or some sort of physical infrastructure partner to be able to get products to the consumer doorstep. And here again, like it seems like the market is really waking up to this need and opportunity. And every day you see new companies emerging that help take on some of that operational complexity for small businesses.
1: And that's the 3PL space.
0: That's exactly right.
1: Talk to us about 3PL. What is, for those who don't know, what is 3PL?
0: Yeah. So 3PL stands for third-party logistics. And it basically is exactly that. It's the idea that you know, you've know you sourced a product from an overseas supplier, or you've built something in your garage and you want to sell it through your e-commerce website. Well, you need a means of storing that inventory, picking it, packing it, and shipping it to the consumer doorstep um, in an efficient and cost-effective way. And these third-party logistics providers are basically outsourced warehouse operations represented by companies like Ruby has fulfillment or Radial or Geotis. There's a, you know, again, a growing list of providers in this space. And they take on all of that operational complexity of uh, the doorstep experience.
1: Um, so, in the B2B lead generation space, because I know you work with a lot of software companies and uh, online service providers. What are small businesses doing right and what are they doing wrong?
0: Well, it's uh there, there's a number of ways to think about the answer to that question. We can start with what they're doing right, which is I think over the course of the last decade or so, <clears throat> decision-making around digital marketing has become much more data driven and more disciplined, more numbers driven over time. Um, with the help of a platform like Google Analytics with the help of tools like uh, account-based management software packages, like say a Marketo or a Terminus, um, it's much easier to understand the cost of engaging a customer um, and also what's working and what's not working. Uh, where we see opportunity at Sound Commerce in terms of what's coming next is moving beyond kind of this transactional measure of success. You know, I acquired you as an e-commerce shopper or I acquired you as a customer for my my B2B product offering and moving to um, a construct that's very central to our business model and the technology that we're bringing to market. And that's the concept of customer lifetime value. Um, CLV is talked a lot about these days. I think it's kind of a sexy, trendy conversation. It's the idea that over the, the, of course, the course of a lifetime relationship with your customer, you can measure their value. But it's often misunderstood as a revenue metric when in reality, if it's instrumented correctly, it's giving you contribution margin or contribution profit insights into your customer relationship. And um, this is a really interesting area where we think there's a lot more innovation and disruption that's coming um, in the future, and we're helping to kind of drive that forward. I need to know not only my cost to acquire you and to re-engage you over time from a marketing standpoint, but I need to know the overall cost to serve you. In the e-commerce business, that would include doorstep delivery cost, and it would also include the impact of things like you returning all those shirts you bought um, because they were the wrong size or you just decided you didn't want them after all.
1: Walk us through this concept of customer lifetime value-based optimization because I know you have like a framework with five levels. So maybe just walk us through that kind of quickly.
0: Yeah, sure. So again, I think it starts with the idea that you have accurate insight into what's happening at the transactional level. One of the things that we're excited about at SoundCommerce is Rather than sort of looking at lifetime value or other success metrics through the lens of finance, which is kind of the best place to get accurate numbers in terms of the health of your business, we're kind of building what we call bottom-up models that are based on um, the ability to track individual transactions and individual engagements with customers. That's a lot of data. And you know maybe another topic we can touch on here in a few minutes is the idea that A lot of this instrumentation, the ability to track these very granular high fidelity events was not really possible until modern cloud computing came along. And so you see this kind of co-innovation happening where as Amazon launches their AWS cloud and Google has their cloud platform and, and Microsoft is driving Azure adoption in the marketplace, it's enabling these new, faster, higher fidelity capabilities. Um, so in the case of CLV, we basically, and this, this kind of uh, maturity model that you've described, these five tiers, it starts with getting accurate revenue insights at the order or engagement level. Do I know the cost um, to serve you? Do I know the cost to acquire you? Do I know how much revenue is being generated by that single order? Once I get the instrumentation right at the order level, then I can stitch those together to create a picture of you over time as a customer. Um, And if I've, if I built all of that properly, again, not only am I accounting for revenue metrics, but also the variable costs of my relationship with you as a customer over time.
1: More with Eric Best when we return, stay with us. We're talking to Eric Best about how digital business is changing. Eric, what are two common failure points when it comes to measuring and optimizing retail digital marketing campaigns?
0: Great question. I think the answer is actually evolving as we speak. You know, as we, as we talk about things like iOS 14.5 and Google's imminent deprecation of third-party cookies, The source of the data itself can be a major challenge for brands. I was just reading. Let me me
1: just stop you and break that down for us. If someone doesn't know really what deprecating or a cookie is, just really simple. What does that mean when you say Google is deprecating
0: cookies? Well, let's step back and talk about how the digital advertising industry has worked for the last 20 years. Um, Traffic flows on the internet, right? You open your browser you're surfing to a website you like, you see ads um, presented on those pages or maybe now on your phone. Um, And as you engage with those ads, either through an impression or through a click, um, there are tracking tags that are triggered by those clicks. Um, And those tags drive analytics tools like Google Analytics to allow brands to be able to track your behavior as you click through the ad to another website. Right.
1: But it's anonymous, right? Like they're tracking my behavior, but they don't know who I am, right? That
0: is true. Yes. So these cookies are on your browser. They might know which browser version you're running. And depending on the the disclosures from that cookie, they might know the hardware device that you're on, right? But generally... If I have a
1: lot of different different cookies from different advertisers, can they somehow triangulate
0: more information and build a sort of dossier about my preferences? Over yes, this has been a big part of the way that the industry has worked over time. And in fact, it it led to the emergence of a whole class of digital advertising service providers called tag management solutions, characterized by companies like Telium and Incitan, and more recently Segment and Heap Analytics. These are uh, software tools that make it easier for brands and advertisers to aggregate data across sites and build a picture of you as a shopper or customer profile. Now, uh, as those tools have evolved and as brands have become better at creating these advertising experiences, targeting you as a customer with relevant content, targeting you as an in-market shopper for that Toyota pickup truck or you know, whatever, Starbucks latte that you're in market to buy next. Uh, there's been this uh, growing concern, I would say, in the industry around consumer privacy uh, and security. And so what you we've seen uh, in, in the industry is the rise of these um, policies uh, that are designed to address consumer privacy. And they're represented by the CCPA, um, in California. And GDPR. that's the California
1: Consumer Privacy Act.
0: That's right. Exactly. And then what does GDPR stand for? Uh, I knew you were going to ask me that question. I know it's I'll the look European, it up. Go ahead. You,
1: you talk about yeah. it. I'll, I'll look it up.
0: It is the European standard for exactly the same thing. It's really- And it was first, right? I mean, it was the right. one that- And yep. so if
1: you sell online, you got to comply with that,
0: right? Because- Exactly right. And the key to all of these- um, Uh, these policies is that consumers have quote unquote the right to be forgotten,
1: right? General data protection regulation,
0: GDPR. Perfect, very European, (laughs) very, very bureaucratic, (laughs) yeah. So, yeah, and arguably very important, right? Like, if I don't want, um you know, these data aggregators to know everything about me. I want the right to be able to turn those things off and delete, you know, have them delete my data.
1: Even though it's anonymous?
0: Even though it's anonymous, yeah. Well, what's interesting is that, yes, it's absolutely anonymous until such time that you actually transact and provide personally identifiable information, at which point that that non-anonymous, that identifiable profile can be connected with that previously anonymous behavior that, that you had. But, but
1: can you take the data from Google Analytics and now move it into an on-platform tool and see the journey, you know, from anonymous to tracked? Uh,
0: yes. So as we, t- as we talk about the evolution of these tools, there has been the emergence of of really kind of two other categories. We talked about tag management a minute ago. Um, There are site experience tools. I mentioned two of them earlier, and the the lines between these categories obviously blur as software vendors, technology vendors, you know, expand and move into different spaces and so on. But um, it's become fairly trivial to be able to track the click path of a consumer through your website and how they get to a conversion event, which could be an e-commerce shopping, you know, uh, order purchase um, or it could be something as simple as signing up for an email marketing subscription, right? An email subscription. Um, so this these site experience vendors like Heap and Segment have made it fairly easy to track those anonymous or known users through their, their web browsing experiences. Are
1: those, are those customer data platforms? Is that what those are? Well,
0: that's exactly the other category that I'm bringing up next. So there's a universe of... Technology providers called CDPs, um, customer data platforms, and they are characterized by vendors like Amperity or um, Blueconic. Uh, in fact, some would say that Segment is also a CDP at this point. There's Lytics out of Portland, Oregon. There's uh, many vendors that are in this CDP space, and this is kind of the culmination of the collection of all of this data that we're talking about here. You know, how do I get both anonymous and personally identifiable signals from all these different sources, mobile apps, website, ad campaigns, right? Um, Even in-store purchases through a loyalty program, right? Um, How do I get all of that data together in one place so that I can better understand the nature of the customers that I'm serving and better engage them over time?
1: if I'm on a vertically integrated stack from a company like Oracle or Salesforce that provides soup-to-nuts tools, then do I not need a customer data platform because it's going to wrap all that data up in its stack?
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, It is absolutely the case that as we've seen software move from monolithic uh, models like Oracle that you mentioned, where a single vendor is providing all of these tools, you know, uh, side by side in a way that is fairly integrated to a model where tens of thousands of small businesses are providing these emerging SaaS tools, software as a service tools, um, it stands to reason that these, the, the smaller and more specialized the tools become and the more vendors that are providing them, the more disconnected they are. And so, I think a big reason for the rise of CDP is that um, SaaS tools are now kind of the prevailing, cheapest, fastest, easiest way to get business done. And as we were talking about at the at the advent of our conversation, you know this is part of what makes it possible for smaller and smaller businesses to be successful is the, is the cost of ownership for these tools is very low.
1: I don't know if you've ever had a a call with an account rep from HubSpot, but their whole sales pitch is, you know what, you don't want a Franken-stack. I think that's their word. You don't want this discombobulated best of breed stack where you're not going to know what breaks and that's why you want us, we're a vertically integrated solution, they're not because they don't have an accounting package, and they don't have payroll, and they don't have shipping, so they don't have a lot of the ERP components that you'd need for a full stack. But their pitch has always been, "Oh, you're small business. Well, you're not going to need a um, uh, an engineer on our programmer on staff. We're going to handle that for you. It's going to be point click drag and drop. You're going to get your own system that works for you." Yeah. So. Uh, I'm not a HubSpot guy. I've never used HubSpot. It may be the greatest thing. I don't have any experience with it.
0: Eric, I'm not sure you intended it this way, but this is almost the perfect setup to just briefly talk about what sound commerce is and what we do. So this problem... So I worked at Amperity. I, I do like, want to cover that. Of course.
1: But... but before, and, and I am going to set the stage for you to tell us all about sound commerce, I promise, and, I, and I'm interested, and <laughs> yeah. I want to hear it. But first... Um, Google's planned elimination of cookie support after this. Stay with us. Eric, talk to us about Google's planned elimination of third-party cookie support. How will that change digital marketing?
0: Yeah, so I think we've, we've covered most of the important background at this point in terms of how, how and why we've arrived at this uh, moment. Right? and this decision that Google has made. We talked about um, consumer privacy and security policy and how it's becoming more important to be legally compliant, to give consumers the right to you know, be forgotten, right, and to protect their own data, kind of regardless of where that data came from or how it was collected or where it's being stored. We talked about the rise of CDPs and these site experience and analytics platforms that are collecting more and more data um, uh, related to consumers, um, their profiles, and how uh, a brand or advertiser might engage those consumers over time. And so we've kind of arrived at this moment now where um, consumers are very aware, both through the experiences that they have, but also just through you know, popular media about the risks and rewards that go along with like, hyper-personalization of websites and uh, of advertising campaigns. Um, At the center of all of this, of course, are the huge platform providers, Facebook and Google, Um, and Apple as well, obviously, has a big role to play here by virtue of the fact that they provide, you know, many of the devices that we end up using to consume all of this digital content. And so um, in addition to the regulatory controls that are being applied to the market, you can see that the largest companies that have the most at stake are also trying to self-regulate um, in a way that reduces their exposure and c- kind of strikes this balance between consumer comfort and and protection and the capabilities of the platform does
1: that work i mean are you confident that that's actually going down or do you think there's a lot of uh skullduggery behind the scenes yeah
0: I don't i mean not to be cynical about this but i think like eliminating cookies is almost kind of a What's the word? Um, You know, it's focusing on the how rather than the what or the why. So, you know, as cookies go away, well, surprise, surprise, now there are device IDs on mobile phones and on laptops and, you know, the browsers that we use to engage that represent alternative means of identifying a user, right? It may not be tied to the URL that I click as I traverse the web from one website to another, it might actually be tied to the Mac address or device ID of the phone that I'm on, right? Um, and in a sense, <clears throat> uh, I don't know that eliminating cookies really solves the problem. I think that there is this higher level, higher order um, construct, you know, this set of considerations around consumer privacy that we're going to have to solve that has less to do with the technology and more to do with the policy, frankly.
1: Interesting. Um, one last thing before we get into sound commerce, because I want to yeah. hear about that. Um, I, I don't know if you're following what's happening with Facebook and, and the whistleblower and all that business.
0: For sure. Um, but and the, also you know, the fact that Facebook appears to have been losing significant revenue since Apple made the decision to make um, uh, personal attribute disclosure optional through iPhone apps—a uh, big challenge, right? To when app providers, including Facebook. Uh, 14.5 came out. I don't know, maybe six months ago now. Okay. Um, and again, it's it is uh, a profound change because uh, it restricts the ability of third-party platform providers like Facebook and Google to collect data through iPhone devices unless the consumer explicitly provides permission? Well,
1: you know, at the time when, um, you know, Section 230 of the uh, Communications Decency Act was enacted, uh, which gives social networks broad immunity from any legal liability stemming from content created by people on its platforms, Facebook and all the uh, services that were available at the time, uh, presented shares in reverse chronological order. So the passage of time determined, you know, what appeared at the top of your stack. And if you wanted to see what was going on, you went back to see if there was anything new. And then of course, you know, it became such a dominant service, it would have been moving so fast, you wouldn't have been able to see it anymore. And they introduced this edge rank algorithm in uh, 2006, which uh, was as Francis Hagen, the whistleblower, uh, described it on 60 Minutes, engagement based ranking this idea that the more likes the more comments the more reach Reach yep. became a factor of engagement um, and so you know one of the things that she recommended uh, in her you know pitch to Congress was that section 230 be reformed and that the social networks uh, be held liable for the content that they amplify since in fact they're not, uh, innocent bystanders—they're now intentionally deciding what we see, um, just as a television broadcast programmer decides what's on at 8 p.m. They're now deciding what's at the top of the screen. So they've taken a programming role with, uh, you know, con- user-generated content. Do you any any sense of whether or not you know uh, Congress will be able to uh, pass any meaningful regulation, or any thoughts about what you'd like to see happen here?
0: I mean, it's interesting, right? Like, I think uh, people complain about their Facebook experience. Like I only ever see the same seven people <laughs> and I only engage with the and, same And it's never
1: people. my wife
0: and I have her <laughs> marked in there and I don't see her stuff. It's crazy. So I have to search yeah. for her. No, but like uh, in earnest, as as we think about kind of where this is going next, I think probably the most important theme is that consumers are given control over these decisions in some way. You know, I think what's, What's powerful about iOS 14.5 is that there is this opt-in, opt-out choice that I get to make when it comes to deciding whether or not Facebook is going to get, you know, my click engagement and so on. Um, But either way, they're still going to be
1: able to use this sort of, you know, uh, William Randolph Hearst computationalized version of if it bleeds, it leads and send this outrageous, sensational content to the top of the stack.
0: That's true. Or the 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 counterpoint is censor something that might not otherwise that should, you know, that should not otherwise be censorable. How,
1: how realistic is that? I mean yeah, I exactly Thousand employees and 3 billion users.
0: Right. I think to your point, at the point at which there's an algorithm making the decision, you know, you've the you've lost some semblance of control over the process.
1: I think Hagen was right on when she said just make them liable. I think it would um You know, it would reform the social media circus overnight. Um, So let's wrap it up with a discussion about sound commerce, because, I mean, you cut your teeth at Amazon, you IPO'd a company as a officer with the company um you've been the ceo of of a company you founded several companies and now you're doing sound commerce out of seattle so tell us what's going on with you what are you doing why do i keep doing commerce? this
0: yeah exactly <laughs> so you, you know i look like I, a young I, guy you look like yeah, you're still a young guy sure the uh i'm young at heart at least uh You know, so the story leading up to SoundCommerce, again, we've touched on most of the themes already. Um, I spent time at Amparity, which is a customer data platform. I have experience at Amazon uh, working on some of their foundational e-commerce technology. Um, You know, and then we talked about the rise of of utility computing and and, um, these cloud data platforms from the likes of Google and Microsoft and Amazon. Uh, When we founded the company three years ago, it was... um, it was a pretty simple thesis. It was that when you look at consumer brands and companies that are engaging in e-commerce, they tend to over-index on marketing and it, they invest heavily in digital marketing as a capability. But you know, in some ways, counter to what Amazon has done, they de-emphasize data-driven decision-making everywhere else, operations, the warehouse, product assortment, pricing decisions, Demand forecasting, um, where to stage inventory, how to route orders to the consumer doorstep. There's all this other complexity. We often talk about retailing as being one of the most complicated businesses because there are just so many moving parts, right? And what Amazon's marketplace has done is simplify that for small businesses to be able to sell online. But what if you could kind of do that in a way um, that allows brands to maintain their independence? Um, you know, on their journey to the shot the, the end customer and success. So, in the simplest terms, basically what SoundCommerce is and what it does is we are a, a productized data warehouse that is specialized for e-commerce merchants and more broadly omnichannel retailers. So you can go out and hire a consultancy and get a bunch of engineering tools and spin up a bunch of cloud services and build all of this stuff from scratch. But that's generally going to be millions of dollars and years of engineering work, um, and, and we think there's a better way, which is to productize that path to modern cloud data capability. Um, and at the center of this uh, platform is a concept that we touched on early on, which is that of customer lifetime value. You know, if we can kind of provide pre-built data models for not only marketing, but merchandising and operations and customer service and so on in a way that provides that, that supports that concept of CLV driven decision-making. There again, we're simplifying things and hopefully helping our customers elevate their decision-making around a more strategic set of success metrics or KPIs. So
1: so, so how can uh, people find out more?
0: Well, Certainly visit us at soundcommerce.com online. Um, We're just now starting to kind of scale up the business. We'll be at the National Retail Federation Show in New York in January, which I'm excited about because it's the first time that this in-person show will be happening um, in the last 24 months. And then again, at Shop Talk in Las Vegas in March.
1: Awesome. Well, Eric Best, CEO at SoundCommerce. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Eric. To master B2B lead generation, you can listen to the first chapter of my new book, The Digital Pivot, for free at digitalpivotbook.com.